How's it going over there in D.C., Dave? Oh, it's it's sunny. It's beautiful here, actually. This is this is great. I can't wait to leave. <laughs> I'll bet. Well, and your plane leaves in what five? No, four hours. Four, uh, yeah, yeah, almost four hours. Yeah, be boarding in four hours. So the show will be less than four hours. I promise. <laughs> That's nice. Well, it's nice that you're getting good weather. We've had uh, just a series of like every day we're getting a thunderstorm. It's a thunderstorm season down here, and uh, uh-huh. so. The round, the ground is uh, is wet and rich. Is mm-hmm. uh, it's a uh, guys just gross actually. I mean, it's oh. just yeah, it's uh. Well, enjoy the water at least. It's, a, it's it is nice to get the water. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yup. Uh, so what do we got on the show today, Dave? Yeah, this is all about uh, optimizing experiences. So so we're we're going to be optimizing uh, drones, uh, dressing rooms, airplane seats, ads, and software licensing. All right, that sounds uh, complete. Mm-hmm. That sounds thorough. Yep. Uh, so, if uh, if folks want more details on anything that we talk about today, where where shall they go? Yep, they want to go to dgshow.org. So, D's and Dave, Cheese and Gunner, show.org. And we got some fun stuff. We got a, we have an audio experience in the uh, in the cutting room mm-hmm. floor this week. Um, we've got a, uh, somebody took Wikipedia commits and turned them into uh, kind of an ambient music. Yeah, it's all new age. It's mm-hmm. pretty awesome. It yeah. is actually pretty awesome. It's very comforting. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and then, uh, speaking of ambient music, somebody stitched together all of the ambient noise from Blade Runner mm-hmm. uh, and uh, turned that into a 23-minute YouTube clip, uh, oh. which is totally mesmerizing. Um, it's great to hear all the background of you know, Los Angeles in 2019. It was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then speaking of replicants... Uh, somebody had an art exhibit where they took models and uh, painted eyes on their eyelids uh, mm-hmm. so that when their eyes were closed, they appeared to be open, and it is totally chilling. Yeah, so you should look at those while you listen to the ambient noise and, and uh, sweet dreams. <laughs> That's right. Well, what I was going to do, what I was going to do is uh, is uh, see if we can secure the services of this artist for our next headshots. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's Gunner and his unblinking eyes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, let's see, ton of drone news this week, Dave. Yep, yep, yeah. So there is. Uh, so the it seems like the the big thing nowadays is uh, just local news stories. Uh, people talking about drones, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember that you know they used to be called remote controlled helicopters, but yeah. if you call it drone, it's a lot more scary. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a local news story that talked about how a drone could spoof your Wi-Fi and steal data. And uh, and so you know, typical local news format, uh, you know, they're not super technical and sophisticated with it, but um, they're basically taking the concept of uh, these guys were taking the concept of war driving. Um, so instead of driving around and having that stuff in your car, um, they were basically taking a Raspberry Pi, uh, putting it in the belly of a quadcopter, and flying around uh, to do uh, war flying. War flying, I guess, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah. So, it, but what's what's and it's kind of interesting how uh, like if you look at the video, it's it's typically the it's a standard eyewitness news of oh there was a drone that showed up on in my driveway and I didn't know where it came from and it was like somebody found a UFO or something, <laughs> right. and and then it's like they looked at it and there were no cameras on it, but it doesn't mean that there can't be a camera on it and they're going to steal your Wi-Fi. And so you can imagine all these grandmothers just like panicking, you know? Yeah. yeah and yeah. yeah, but then they're like. Oh, well, there are all kind of ways to protect yourself on the Internet. Um, so uh, 
uh, you know, one of the things that they said was avoiding open Wi-Fi is the first step. Um, and then if you have to connect to a public Wi-Fi network, make sure the web address you visit uh, is correct and not a dummy site. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. And then also be sure to only open websites that have HTTPS in the address. Yes. Yes. And then uh, when uh, accessing a banking website, only continue if a lock appears indicating a secure encrypted connection. God. This is how this is, uh, man. This is the problem, right? It's they, they have good intent, they but have, it's yeah, it's messed up. Yeah. yeah, it is messed up, and and actually shame on the industry, right? Uh, because if, to make it so complicated, to make yeah. it so complicated, like that's like I I don't blame them for not getting it right because it's ridiculous how hard it is. Like even if you're an expert in this field, it is really difficult to uh, to maintain the proper behavior. Uh, yeah. And to explain it in a three-minute news segment, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, 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 terrible. Yeah. Uh, but, well, it seems like as long as you put drone in it, it's going to make it ten times more scary. So as as we go through this episode, is when we do the drone stuff, it's going to get scarier. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's a, it, actually the same thing with uh, speaking of Blade Runner. Uh, same thing with the word replicant, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So if you say replicant fireman, that sounds terrifying, right? Yeah, oh, that, I like that. What if you had a replicant drone? That's like horrifying. Yeah, that's double horrifying. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, well, and also, the, and the irony of this is is not lost on me either because, you know, people worried about, you know, oh, these drones are going to spoof Wi-Fi and steal our data and uh, when the, your police department is literally doing this right now. Mm-hmm, yep, yep. Yeah, with the stingrays, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But now you can do it yourself, I guess. Get a Raspberry Pi and have it fly around to be a, be a stingray. Yeah, I like that. It brings a little symmetry to the situation. I like that. I like that. Mm -hmm. uh, what about and what I saw the this uh, this drone trailer truck? Man, that mm -hmm. looks terrifying. It's like right out of Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, I was sort of disappointed because it, like, it's like you see the headline, and uh, I would I would have thought it would look like not look like a normal truck. Like it looks like a normal tractor trailer, right? But I, I would have thought they would have like chopped the cab off and get rid of the compartment where the human would go and put something else there or nothing there or something. Put a replicant in there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or a drone, yeah. Um, <laughs> a quadcopter driving it. Yeah, that would be horrifying. Um, but but I found out as I was reading the article that uh, that there is actually a human driver inside of the the cab, and so. But he's just basically sitting there waiting for things to like when the when the truck can't handle it anymore. That's when you bring the operator in for intervention. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, you know, is it, I think about you know kind of the early days of uh, of the airplane, and you know there was some recreational use and you know some moving people from one place to another. But like a lot of the airplane use was like the post office, right? It was actually moving cargo quickly from one place to another. And so it kind of makes sense to me that you know uh, driverless cars, you know wouldn't necessarily go into that's not where the driverless vehicles would start right it actually makes mm -hmm. a lot more sense economically it, it makes a lot more sense for the driverless stuff to be trucks right yeah totally yeah. like especially if it's something like uh the turnpike or something mm -hmm. that like in ohio that's like flat and straight and you could just it should be kind of simple and mm -hmm. like it, for me like as a, a motorcycle rider yeah, I used to think that the truck drivers, it would be safer to be like near a truck driver because they're professionals, right? They're mm -hmm. not half paying attention or whatever. Uh, but anymore, I don't know if the, the quality standards, like they keep lowering them for these truck drivers. But, you know, a lot of times they're going into my lane and, and taking turns too wide. And 
it's pretty frightening. And I, and I wonder by having a, uh, I wonder if a drone would do better if it has all the sensors on board and um, will you know, stop or veer out of the way if you, know, you get in the way and all that. But, but I could also imagine that if the first accident that somebody dies because of that, there's going to be like outrage. But, um, but I'm sure that you compare that to the number of hours with a, a human-driven truck, uh, you know, it may be worse. Yeah, well, I mean, that's from what I understand. That's what makes the that's what makes this viable uh, business wise is that the drone trucks allow you to get around the sleep requirements for the drivers. Yeah. So he can just kind of, you know, you can get two drivers or whatever, have one, have them sack out uh, as much as they want when you're on the uh, kind of straightaways, and then when it gets when you get to a, a highway exit or get to a depot, you can switch out and, and put the human in charge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and even have. Uh... Like you could, you could for the complicated stuff, you you have the human get it to the point where it's on the turnpike, uh, and then it just lets it go by itself, and then it just goes, mm-hmm. and then um, and then whenever it gets to the end of the turnpike, it could pull over and just wait for the human on the other end uh, to come and get in and take it off and and park it, you know, at the warehouse or wherever. Yeah, it's, I guess not altogether different than you know some of these fancy luxury cars um, will not only do cruise control but also keep you in the lane. Um, mm-hmm. And I, basically, the same thing, right? It's not, yeah. not altogether different. Yeah. Yep. Cool. What? Uh, more drones? Give me more. Give me more drone news. Selfie drone. Oh right! Now we're talking. Yeah. Now we're talking. It's horrifying. <laughs> horrifying. So th- this is the uh, uh, the Lily cam, right? Mm-hmm. It's super mm-hmm. cool. I saw, I saw this. Uh, they put a promotional video together, and it kind of hit the internet this week. And and uh, man, uh, what a! I mean. Call it selfie drone, and like that part's not interesting. But you look at everything that this drone can do, and it is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. So it, to me, it almost looks like a military thing that you know, like you would see like Boeing or Northrop Grumman would come up with, or something where mm-hmm. the soldier that has his drone in his backpack and he pulls it out and he like flips it in the air. But it's just like some guy that's doing uh, uh, you know uh, extreme sports or whatever, you know, snowboarding or whatever. And so he takes this thing. It's about the size of what a frisbee, and yeah. then it's like he just flips it out there, and then then it detects that it's falling. So then the the quadcopter it turns on, it balances itself, and it takes off. And then you're wearing this uh, this disc, uh, I guess, around your wrist or whatever. And then you're um, uh, and, and it will follow you, and it'll the camera will shoot at where the disc is pointing, and and it will notice that like if you're doing um, snowboarding, if you jump. Um, it will do uh, like a it'll do a high speed uh, so it'll do like a slow motion capture of, of your jump mm-hmm. uh, whenever you land and everything and it can do like a, a 360 panorama and fly around you and all that right like I got the impression that it was like you could give it certain programs to do right so like mm-hmm. when I flip you up follow my beacon and also circle me 360 degrees or you know just follow me down this hill or so on and so forth and then yeah i think that's what the beacon does where it has buttons on it yeah uh-huh and uh the one that the part that really blew me away was uh they do the sequence uh you're in a kayak and mm-hmm. instead they threw it out of the kayak and i was like oh it's just going to pick up and float well no it lands in the water and mm-hmm. then and then the rotors start and it lifts itself out of the water like the thing is waterproof yeah. It's yeah, crazy. that's what I'm saying. It's like Northrop Grumman. They they need to, you know, that, that that's something that uh, some special ops guy would be using for something. Well, I was thinking about it for for police. Mm. Yeah, they need drones. Yeah, <laughs> they need. Yeah, they don't have anywhere near enough drones, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I yeah. So they're coming to uh, Illinois. Oh, oh, really? The drone police. Mm-hmm. Yeah, drone cops. Replicant. Um, replicants. Replicants. Yeah. Well, a replicant would probably fly the drone. Right. Yeah. And that's how they get you. Um, but yeah, so the, so the thought is that, um, you know, oh, hey, there's a car accident or some, uh, or you need the crime scene to be photographed. Um, instead of somebody coming over in their cruiser or whatever, um, a drone comes by and, and, uh, and does it. And, and, I, and I'm not sure if I have a problem with that or not. I can imagine, like, from a first responder sort of thing, or um, you can imagine, say, like, uh, from a public safety sort of, you know, there's some holdup or something or hostage situation. You could have the drone, you know, fly around and, and, and do things that a regular police officer couldn't do just on, you know, on foot. Yeah. I, you know, listening to all these applications for drones, I, I'm wondering when, it, when is the point when the word drone drops out, right? It's, it, it's starting to sound a little bit like horseless carriage. Um, yeah. Like, well, when it's not scary anymore, that's when it's going to stop. <laughs> right. And I feel like it should be, you know, in, in this application, right, where cops are using these basically, I mean, they're just flying cameras, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's a, you know, they're not autonomous. They're not, uh, you know, they're not using them for surveillance. They're just using it to get a, like a better perspective on a crime scene or whatever. Um, yeah. So at what point can we just start calling them cameras, right? It's just yeah. a camera. Or remote-controlled helicopter. Yeah, right, 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 right. I don't know, a little silly, a little silly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did, did you see the uh, XKCD uh, drone comic? No, no. Yeah, so I, I have it in there, but it's, it's pretty good where basically it just says uh, – you know, they're all worried about all these micro drones and all that. And so what's, you know, what's the solution? And uh, they, they said, well, all you have to do is just make um, drone theft legal. <laughs> that's right. Well, actually, that's, there was actually there was a bill. I don't know if it passed in Texas or not, but like it is maybe the like 28th most Texas thing I've ever heard, which was. Uh, make drones totally legal, but also make it legal to shoot them out of the sky when they're on your property. Oh, I thought you, I, I would have thought it would be like a, a meat drone. <laughs> That's right. Deliver brisket or something. Yeah, yeah. Holstein yeah. sized drones. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a it's it's a flying smoker. Yeah. <laughs> See, now we're getting somewhere important. This yeah, is the, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and uh, uh, the Keurig news. You heard this? Yeah, they're they're. Uh, it was uh, didn't they announce this on DRM anti DRM day? Uh, I th- I, or around I think that, that time, yeah, it was rather well. That's when their earnings report came out, uh, and this is by the way thanks to Uzoma, who's uh, got an eagle eye on the proceedings of the Craig Corporation. But uh, the Craig CFO on their earnings call blamed uh, their bad financial results on the DRM system that you and I made r- merciless fun of many times on this show. Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised though, or, or you know, I, I don't know. What do you think? Would would you blame their earnings on that? Uh, I'm not surprised that they did, uh, because that was yeah. that was kind of their flagship move, right? That was the that was the one thing that was different, and so way easier to blame it on the DRM, uh, which was already an argument kind of floating out there in the chatter sphere, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to saying, "Hey, we're not competent, or people are not interested in buying our crappy coffee." Yeah, yeah. So either way, I'll, I'll chalk it up for a win for the uh, anti-DRM folks. That's yeah. yeah. I'm I'm still not a fan of that whole Keurig, just the the waste involved of throwing those cups away and just environmentally, that's just a bad idea. I think. And for and for not a huge bonus, right? Like it doesn't actually buy you very much. Uh, yeah. I mean, as a coffee user, it like it, it's not significant. It's not so significantly easier that um, 
you know, I'm still very happy with my AeroPress. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's for the people that have like one cup of coffee a day where it's like, I'll have like a pot. So, uh, did you see this? Uh, did you see uh, InfoWorld recently made an editorial change? No, what happened? So, they, it's interesting. Um, they, for years, have had a columnist covering open source kind of as a beat. And mm-hmm. uh, they have now shut down that beat. They said, to, hey, listen, you know, open source used to be a special thing that needed its own coverage. And now mm-hmm. with, you know, 70, 80 percent of companies using and creating open source, um, we don't feel the need to treat it as a special beat anymore. Um, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's now just part of our regular coverage. Um, huh. which I think is like a huge tipping point, right? Um, yeah. And actually borne out by, the, did you hear the news from uh, EMC? No, what's going on? So EMC, the most buttoned up, stayed uh, kind of technology company out there, probably second only to IBM. Um, EMC uh, actually launched an open source project, hmm. which is just, you know, anathema for them. But uh, yeah, the uh, Viper HD, Viper. Hmm. Um, well, which that sounds uh, scary. Yeah. yeah, it does. It sounds like, yeah, it's like a, Bag of snakes. Like a yeah. Viper drone replicant. <laughs> That's right. So uh, this Viper is apparently, you know, an open source, uh, basically an open source storage head. Um, so oh. you stick it on top of a bunch of their very expensive uh, storage devices and then uh, whatever makes things easier or something. Um, but uh, good for EMC for uh, welcome. Welcome to the open source cause, EMC. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder when uh, InfoWorld will have a column for uh, proprietary stuff. Like, they'll just have a special beat for that. That's when you know we won. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. So also in, uh, uh, also in software news, did you hear the news? Uh, so Windows 10? Yes, yeah. They, uh, it, and so is 10 the version number or the number of variants they have? Both. So, uh, oh, yeah, nice. so, so they, were, they were very proud of this, apparently. So, well, okay, so there's a couple things that are, that are going to be different about Windows. Uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of technology changes, um, which I'm kind of only dimly aware of. But uh, the big kind of headline for me was that Windows is now a subscription service rather than a license. Mm-hmm. Hmm, that's a good idea. We ought to try that at Red Hat. Well, I don't know. It sounds really risky, Dave. I don't know if we don't, model. It's going to ruin our business model. Yeah, I don't, I don't care about that. For Microsoft, really interesting uh, because it means that they were willing, they thought it was important enough to move to a subscription model that they were willing to put all this licensing revenue at risk, right? Um, we're talking about like a billion and billions of dollar business. Um, mm-hmm. And to move it to a, a different licensing model, you know, the subscription model, it's, 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 there's a lot of risk built into that. So I was trying to think of like reasons why they would go through that. Um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you have any ideas? Well, I would think that, you know, back in, an, in the licensing days model, you didn't have patches that often. And, and the value was more in the initial version of the software that you had. And now I think the real value of the software is the 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 updates that you get for it, whether they're security fixes or bug fixes, and I wonder, like, if you whether it's RHEL or it was uh, Windows, if you could do a diff of the code that was like the .0 GA bits to the end of life bits, how what percent is different? Right, right. So you know what I just realized? I think Microsoft actually invented the licensing model, didn't they? Wasn't it wasn't a thing like because they had licensed uh, DOS and Basic to IBM anyway? Uh, yeah, that's sorry. true. Yeah, because they 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 were the ones that really um, in the past uh, pre Microsoft and DOS days the software really had no value, and mm-hmm. and I think what Microsoft did was they decoupled the software from the hardware, 
Right. And and um, that's where you know we, well they had to charge money for it, and and probably back in the DOS days you know it just made sense to charge a license fee for every uh, system sold, and mm-hmm. you know, you probably didn't have to update it. Yeah, and and so for and so for low these many years, actually Windows uh, release dates have been synchronized to like Intel hardware release dates, right? Because you gotta yep. have gotta have the OS actually you know support the hardware. We did we do a similar thing with RHEL, right? Where mm-hmm. RHEL releases you know correlate roughly to kind of major platform releases by you know Intel, IBM, HP, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you know them moving to a service is a pretty good indication that they're you know anticipating that the hardware releases are now going to be less important. Um, mm-hmm. At least from mm-hmm. a technology point of view, probably cloud is probably on their mind, right? Because yep. um, if you're on a cloud, you don't actually care about when the hardware releases are. Um, and also, it's going to be interesting to see how the Microsoft sales organization changes behavior. Um, yes. Because like they're, those guys are all about landing the licensing revenue, right? Um, yep. And then and maintenance is often taken care of like by a completely different part of the company. Um, mm-hmm. And so it'll be interesting to see Microsoft reps now on the hook for renewals. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. And unless they, they bake it into like enterprise license agreements or, or things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. It'll be interesting. And, Sorry. Good. Well, well, the other thing that they're doing too is, um, you know, moving, letting people get away from the whole patch Tuesday, um, where they're very much like Red Hat releasing updates as they come out instead of, you know, having a damn burst on the second Tuesday of the month or, or whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're still making that an option for enterprises that want to uh, sort of collect all the patches and apply them at once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, in, and I think the other thing, the way that they're spinning it is saying that, well, for the enterprise customers that want to wait, it's great because then you could watch all the commercial people updating right away and see whether things succeed or fail on their systems. And let, so you basically let the, uh, um, the consumer end of it be the guinea pigs for the enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Microsoft. <laughs> um, and also, well, they're and they're very proud of, uh, as you mentioned, they're, they're very proud of winnowing down uh, the you know f- the thick book of SKUs associated with Windows. They're now whittling it down to ten SKUs. Yeah, and that's just for the desktop. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah. I talk, talk about technical debt. That's like procurement debt. That's a, yep. Wild. Um, all right. So what's new in uh, what's new on airplanes? Yeah. So there, there's a new thing that uh, people are working on um, where um, your airplane seat knows when you're nervous. Hmm. Why Why would my airline seat care if I was nervous? Uh, the airline seat doesn't care, but the uh, um, I guess for the the flight crew, they they want to know when somebody's going to freak out on the airplane, and this is a great way to let people know ahead of time. Right, right. Um, so is there like an opt out or and? Oh, yes. sorry. Well, actually, so so no. Wait, now I'm doing all the math on this, and I'm realizing that it's doing this by measuring my butt. Is that right? Yeah. So basically, you get the fabric that you stretch over the seat, and then um, it will know when you're distressed and alert the cabin crew. Um, uh, early, so they can come and comfort you. Um, maybe uh, um, give you a glass of water or, or a bottle of alcohol or something. Um, and uh, yeah, and then they're also using uh, so that the data collected uh, by the sensors goes into an app, 
uh, which lets the, the cabin crew uh, know how people are feeling. So if your heart beat is, your heart rate is higher, um, you know, they may, um, you know, uh, come by and, and check in on people and all that. Um, and then they could also, um, I guess they could do maybe A-B testing of, of whatever. Um, See, you know, yeah, so, this, this is, this is mm-hmm. of course, where it's going, right? Like, the, uh, that's fine. We can comfort somebody who's freaking out. That's fine. But it's really about measuring whether I enjoyed that commercial they just showed me, right? Or the level of discomfort somebody has, like, can we make the seat smaller? Can we make it smaller? Can we make it smaller? Mm-hmm. To the point where it's like <laughs> they're panicking and then they have the freak out, right? And, and, and so... Um, yeah, and then they could do measure, I guess, happiness. So going back to the previous you know, previous episodes where we we're talking about those happiness meters, um, you know, they could uh, you know they could try out different things of oh well we'll have complimentary uh, drinks or oh no we won't have drinks on this flight and see if people get upset or not and right. um, and and see which ways that they could uh, extract more margin. Yup. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and and by chance, if if you don't like that idea of being monitored, um, you have the chance to uh, opt out. All right. Well, that that's gracious of them. That's, that's yeah. So as, as you're not opting in, you get the opportunity to opt out. <laughs> uh, so who who else is uh, looking to improve our ad experience today? Um, Uber drivers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So have you ever been in a cab that uh, is like has a TV and it's like blasting ads at you the whole time that you're in a cab? Nearly all of them now, right? Nearly all oh, of them. Oh, I hate that. I hate, I hate that. So now Uber drivers are getting into it. And uh, Uber has made a move to discourage drivers from earning extra income uh, by putting those uh, ad things in the car. And it, I guess they call it Views Wagon. Okay. Um, and you can get... Uh, uh, they say that you can get uh, $3 more per hour if you're using their service. Huh. I, I, so I, I, I'm in the awkward position of now agreeing with Uber um, because mm-hmm. I find like ads inside, like I'm already paying you for the service, right? Yes. And, um, and my price is not being reduced because I'm having ads streamed at me. Um, like that's all of that is profit for you. So yep. like, yeah, this is... Well, I would think too. You could fight back by it's like, dude, this, your rating is hinging on you know whether you're you're pumping this thing at me. That's uh, that's right. That's right. There is a nice regulatory mechanism in there. What if what if they put this? Uh, what if they put these uh, kind of diagnostic seat seat fabrics inside the Uber cars? Right. Yeah. Um, then yeah. I could what hop up and down, I guess, uh, to indicate my discomfort. Yeah, or or like when you're getting attacked, um, it could automatically call the police. <laughs> right. Right. Or it'd earn me a free drink. Yeah, 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 we could have a flight attendant come by, um, <laughs> give you a blanket. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, what other what other experiences can be can be improved by technology, Dave? Fitting rooms. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so now there's a, there's a thing that's called memory mirror, where um, you can imagine instead of having just like an old fashioned mirror that uh, is a mirror, mm-hmm. um, imagine it being like a, like a, a a mirror that will project your image back at you, um, but also add, allow you, you know, it's like change the color of the suit you're wearing or that you tried on or suggest that, oh, it would look great with a, uh, whatever kind of hat or, or whatever wristwatch or belt or whatever, mm-hmm. or shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would overlay that over, um, over your body. So you, you could see it without having to, 
um, it's an opportunity to be upsold without having to actually go to the trouble of trying on those clothes yourself. Right. I mean, okay, I guess, right? Yeah. So, okay. so you, well, do you oh, see wait, any problems hold, uh, with that? Yeah, hold on. Yep, I just figured it out. Uh, so there's a camera in there. How, yeah, let's walk through. How would this work? <laughs> Like, we're, we're, okay, so there's a camera in it. Where, where, where is this camera going to be placed? <laughs> right. Yes. In a dressing room. In a dressing room. That's right. A camera okay, in a dressing what, room. Yeah, but they're probably not going to record the images. What is what is the product called? Uh, the product is called Memory Mirror. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. So there we go. Okay, so that's, uh, that, I think that's pl plenty intrusion. Uh, what, what, what have we got working yeah, on the other side of the, uh, on the other side of the equation? What, what are people yeah. doing to improve security for us? The good guys, right, mm -hmm. right. So uh, Martin Pressler's uh, at it again. Oh, nice. Yep, yep. So he's, he's uh, added a capability to do uh, scanning remote machines with OpenSCAP. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so instead of like SSHing into the box, running OpenSCAP, collecting the logs, copying them back, um, it's it's basically um, one command that will do all that for you. Um, and um, you can even run it on Windows or a Mac, um, and it will do the SSH call out to the remote system, run OpenSCAP, and pull the logs back to you. Oh, that's great. That sounds really handy. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Excellent. Better than having a camera in your dressing room. Way better. Yeah. Way better. Um, what you ought to do is add, put ads in it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It looks like you're vulnerable. Maybe you'd like to purchase a subscription. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. um, so Nulicule, I'd never heard this word before this week. Nulicule. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard about it, and I've been like spending all week practicing pronouncing it out loud. Mm -hmm. it, it like hurts my tongue. I don't know about you. It's awkward, yeah. Nulicule. Mm -hmm. A nulicule. Sort of like molecule? Yeah, except it's new. Nulicule. Yeah. So a so nulicule is a uh, is a new project that we uh, that we started this week. Um, and so we've talked about Kubernetes on the show in the past. Mm -hmm. Dave. Mm -hmm. So this is the, that's the orchestration tool for uh, for containers. And uh, mm -hmm. so you can, and one of the things that Kubernetes knows how to do is it knows how to stitch a bunch of containers together, right? It knows how they're connected so that um, you can say, my application is these four containers of these types. Uh, and so when I ask for this application, go deploy such a thing. Mm -hmm. um, now, the trick, though, is that you're, when you make that definition, that definition is specific to Kubernetes and is not transferable to either other orchestration systems or to kind of non-container-driven systems, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yep. so this Nulicule project is an abstraction on top of that kind of composition language uh, mm -hmm. so that you can define the composition of an application in one language, in one way, and then feed that to any number of kind of orchestration mechanisms and who will then know what to do with it. Yes. That's great. It's yeah, very, nice. very open sourcey, open standardsy. Yes, yes. We finally found a place where we needed another abstraction layer, so we added it. Um, mm. So, <laughs> so no, I think it's a, I think it's a very clever idea. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, kind of where that project goes. Yep. Pretty great. Speaking of containers, Dave. 
Yeah, we got more uh, military embedded systems publications, not by me this time. That's great. That's great. Yeah, uh, yeah so they, they declared containers fascinating, which is yeah. something I think that we already knew. Um, and so this was written by your good friend, uh, friend of the show, James Kirkland. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, principal architect for uh, our Internet of Things effort. Yep. Yes, he's our, he's like, he is definitely our go-to guy for the uh, IoT stuff. Yeah, he was on the show, too. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. That's right. We'll, we'll dig up a link to that and stick it in the show notes as well. Yeah. Anyway, nice work, James. Yeah, thanks. So uh, VM Turbo, Dave. Yeah, what's that? That sounds, uh, sounds like something we ought to invest in. Yeah, well, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, and, so, and so does the rest of the company, apparently, because we, uh, we just announced uh, an investment that we made in VM Turbo. So uh, these guys, VM Turbo, they have a way of um, allocating virtual machine requests based on demand. Mm-hmm. So it's a kind of an automated way of saying, like, oh, well, uh, based on what I know about pricing and based on, based on what I know about capabilities, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spin up your VM over here on Amazon, or I'm going to go ahead and spin it up on your local OpenStack, et cetera, et cetera. Um, anyway, apparently, uh, uh, they have a close relationship with our, with our friends at CloudForms. Um, mm-hmm. And so you can see, the, naturally, you can see where the, uh, where the, what, what the business guys are called, the synergy, the synergy is, yes. uh, is pretty obvious there. Um, but that was nice. That was nice to see us uh, giving, them a, giving them a hand up. Yeah, so it's a great way to optimize your cloud experience. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, speaking of optimized uh, experiences, uh, the SIIA, the Software and Indus- Information Industry Association, uh, just handed out their coveted Cody Awards. Yes. This week. And uh, we had two winners. We had uh, Rail 7 and uh, CloudForms both walked away with, uh, walked away with an award, which is great. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, what's the significance with the Cody Awards? So, the nice thing about the Cody Awards is that it's done by your. It's not. Uh, it's you know. It's not internet voting. It's uh, it's actually voted on by peers in the industry, mm. um, which makes it uh, makes it makes it a lot more interesting an award than uh, you know like a panel of editors or something like that. Um, yeah, it's like oh, these guys paid for advertising in my right. magazine or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. So pretty great. Pretty proud of that. So uh, thanks SIIA and SIIA members. So, Dave, I was struck by the uh, the instructions from uh, from the fear mongering uh, eyewitness news folks about making sure that HTTPS is in all your URLs. Yes. Uh, so, friend of the show, Eric Mill, uh, known as Conclone on the internet, um, mm-hmm. wrote uh, a really interesting discussion of uh, these two new. Tra- so, Chrome and Firefox have both separately announced that they are going to start uh, treating plain HTTP as insecure. Hmm. In other words, uh, you know, at some point here, when you go to a uh, an unencrypted website, it is actually going to mm-hmm. flag it as like, "Hey, something's wrong with this website." Wow. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, well, that that's going to upset all the uh, internet service providers that do any sort of caching. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Uh, it's also going to upset uh, many, many advertisers. Um, yes. And anybody government who is agencies, government agencies, anybody who is planning on injecting ads into your ad experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, uh, uh, Eric, the blog post is great. Mm. So, uh, the reason why I'm highlighting, there was a bunch of stuff written about all this, but, uh, the reason why I'm highlighting Eric's, uh, in particular is, uh, because it gives a, he gives a passionate defense of the move, um, because he strongly feels like everything should be encrypted. Um, mm-hmm. everything should have HTTPS on it. Uh, mm-hmm. but also it's, you know, it's not uncomplicated. Um, we're kind of, uh, for a bunch of reasons, it makes sense to be demanding HTTPS on your, on your websites. But at the same time, the infrastructure for making sure that HTTPS is as easy and as, 
uh, effective as it could be, the infrastructure just isn't there in a lot of cases. Uh, and so we walked through some of the advantages and some of the challenges with a, with a move like this. So I thought it was a great read. It was a good read. Yeah, but I think with everything being HTTPS, I don't think it's going to totally fix the problem because if, I don't know if any if, if you've ever done this uh, or our listeners have ever done this, but have, have you ever gone and looked at all the CAs that are inside your web browser? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So, and, and you know, a lot of them are like foreign governments that, you know, so it would be real easy for, uh, you know, to, to coerce one of those uh, um CAs to uh, you know create a, a, a cert for Google.com or whatever, and then it's it's perceived as okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of flaws with the entire uh, the entire uh, kind of X509 scheme. Um, you know, this whole notion that the uh, the browser vendor actually controls who you trust and who you don't. Um, mm-hmm. is kind of sketchy. Uh, and also, like, you look at a lot of these certificate authorities in your browser and, like, you have no idea who these people are. Um, yeah. Or you do know, and it's like... Right. You know, yeah, that's right. I, I suppose right. you could delete most of them. But. So People's Liberation Army? That's strange. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, great article. Uh, really thought-provoking. So uh, I encourage mm-hmm. everybody to go read that. Um, so I've been spending a ton of time thinking about microservices lately, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Because all the all the cool kids, they're you know everything's in microservices now. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the trick for a lot of folks though is uh, they kind of even if they've been through all the material and they understand containers and microservices and why microservices are going to be awesome uh, mm-hmm. and they probably will be awesome. But the real trick is figuring out how to get to microservices. Right. It's uh, it's a really disruptive change to how we build software. Uh, because it changes not just the architecture and often not just the languages that we're using, uh, but it also uh, changes the way operations works. Um, mm-hmm. Things like monitoring, things like logging, like all that stuff changes when you go move to a microservices model. Anyway, I was looking for uh, folks who had done this in the past, and uh, mm-hmm. I found that the Halo folks, speaking of Uber, so Uber competitor Halo uh, went through kind of a two-year journey on moving to microservices and wrote the whole thing up on uh, a series of blog posts, which uh, I can strongly recommend. Um, hmm. So if you've been kind of tinkering around with the idea of microservices or you have a kind of a glancing familiarity with it but don't actually know how it looks in practice, uh, these Halo folks have written a, written a great piece on it. Um, so I really recommend that. That's great. That's great. I have to check that out. Yeah, so I got... One thing that I saw, uh, actually, my wife sent it my way, um, where um, a young engineer, he, he was graduating from college, and then he, he posted a question on uh, uh, Quora, which is uh, you know question and answer social media platform, mm-hmm. about uh, two job offers he had. So he had, he had one from uh, an offer from uh, Uber, speaking of Uber, mm-hmm. um, and also a job offer from the HR uh, software service startup called uh, Zenefits. And so he, and, and he asked on the forum, he's like, ah, I don't know which one I want to go to, uh, you know, which, uh, I'll, let me open up to you guys. What do you recommend? Which would be the best place for, uh, somebody like me starting their career? And then what happened? Yeah. So, um, there were a lot of people that chimed in with advice, including the, uh, Zenefit CEO. <laughs> so basically he said, definitely not Zenefits. <laughs> and we really have the value people who get it and who want to work here specifically. And, right. uh, yeah. And, and, uh, so it's, it was, it was, uh, you know, he, and he walked it back later a little bit, but, um, uh, but, and then Uber was like kind of okay about it. But, um, 
So, so who do you think messed up here? Certainly the Zenefit CEO, because what a yes. jerk. Yes, totally, totally. Yes. Um, and then, uh, and then I will say Uber because I don't even know what they did, but I'm just going to say on general principle yeah, well, they probably him. did something yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with what this guy did. I really yeah. don't. I think like he yeah. had a genuine question and he wanted to, you know, wanted a community of his peers to give him some sound advice, just like he would ask his friends. Um, yeah. Like what, what's the harm in that? I don't, I don't, I don't know that there is any. And if you're a company, um, you know, you, you, if you're a company hiring an employee you have to expect that they're going to have that kind of consideration in any case, right? Um, like you would, you would want an employee who is, uh, who wants to make sure that they're working at the best company. Um, and you know, what's, what's kind of tacit in the reaction of the Zenefit CEO is that, um, that the employee is not going to be thinking critically about this decision at all. Um, mm. because naturally they should want to work for us. And if they don't, then, then, you know, get rid of it. Well, that's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, and I, and I was I was thinking that you know this is like a different manifestation of uh, you know young kids' culture these days of oversharing on the internet and mm -hmm. of things. Um, the kid definitely did it. I don't think he necessarily did anything wrong, um, but that was I would say a more public thing than I would have done. Um, but well, so for, from the from his point of view though, like what harm? What's the potential harm for him? Yeah. Yeah, and and maybe it's sort of like he sees the community that he's asking as like something smaller. Like maybe you would ask this on like the local bulletin board uh, system, you know, back in the '80s or something. Went for a career that is in California. Nobody's going to be looking at the bulletin board that you're on. Um, mm -hmm. But and and but even then, I I still think it's a valid question. Of if if you pose it as like, hey, I have these two decisions. He wasn't bad mouthing um, Zenefits or Uber or anything like that either, right? And right, right. I, 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 actually, that's a good point. Like, if he was say like, well, these are the things that are terrible about Zenefits, and these are the things that are terrible about Uber. So which one should I choose? Um, yeah. It didn't sound like he did that at all. He was just asking kind of a, a neutral, yeah, uh, neutral question, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I thought that was, and and for yeah, for that CEO to blow up. I I think in many ways that's probably a blessing uh, for that student to to it's like wow he got his answer I mean he got the right answer that definitely he doesn't want to work there because of uh, you know if that's the way the culture yeah. is at that company it's like do you really want to work there Yeah exactly oh maybe this I mean maybe this maybe this kid's smarter than we thought maybe this is just like an elaborate like canary for culture right mm -hmm. Yep yep or maybe he was one of those replicants for Uber <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's like a sleeper agent. Yeah. <laughs> Tortoise, what's that? Yeah. Um, all right, Dave. Uh, well, I know you got to catch your flight. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to go to the airport. I think uh, Sweater Lady is, I think she's going to be in the row in front of me. She always picks uh, 2A, so. Nice. All right, we'll mm -hmm. tell her we said hi. I will. <laughs> yeah, so uh, for people to get uh, links to it, it, to calm themselves down and listen to Wikipedia change, where, where do we need to send them? They should go to uh, https colon forward slash forward slash dgshow.org. D is in Dave, G is in Gunner, show.org. Awesome. Okay, well, thanks, Gunner, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>